My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here, and I really like that idea of being held in God's hands. As we were singing about that, I started to imagine what it would be like if all of my life were held in God's hands, and I realize it is. So the next thing I wondered was, how can I come to a more um, kind of present realization that it is in God's hands? And that's what we hope happens here this morning when we gather, and we actually hope that this forms us throughout the rest of the week to recognize that too. And we're doing this in a very specific way over the next several weeks, and that is by remembering the Sabbath and figuring out what it looks like if we had more margin in our lives. And we're going to use a passage from Exodus 20 to reflect on that this morning. It's in the middle of the Ten Commandments. It's the Fourth Commandment. And I would like to invite you to open a Bible and read it with me, Exodus chapter 20, starting with verse 8. So if you're getting out your Bible or your phone, the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, the 20th chapter, the 8th verse. Exodus 20 verse 8. Before I read this, I want you to know that you're in my prayers, and this is the prayer I offer to you. The Lord be with you. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So we were going to try to find some breathing room this past week. How'd that work? Did you find breathing room? I'm assuming maybe some of us did, maybe some of us did not, but at least we're going to take some time right now to find some. So I'm going to invite you to breathe deeply with me again. We're going to breathe in for like four or five and then hold it for four or five and then breathe out. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Okay, ready, everybody? And hold it. How's that feel? Pretty good. I like it so much we're going to do it again, okay? Everybody? And hold it. Okay, I got a question for you this morning. What is your favorite part of breathing? Do you have a favorite part? Ever think about that? My favorite part is the process of gas exchange by which oxygen is put into my blood and carbon dioxide is taken out of my blood. That's my favorite part. Some of you are nodding in agreement, like you like that part too? Okay, this is absolutely essential for life, right? And we talked about this briefly last week, that you have to be able to breathe to live. And if you're not able to get enough oxygen, if the air is so thin, if the margin is so narrow in your life that you can't breathe deeply and get enough oxygen, then you're living in a death zone, like on the top of Mount Everest. And we all, I think, pretty much agreed last week that we don't want to live in a death zone. Didn't we? I don't know, but maybe some of you, you do. I don't know. 
So what we're going to try to discover is breathing room or margin, and we're actually planning over the next several weeks to continue to spend time in this fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, and we hope that by doing that, we're going to find life. We're going to get this exchange of oxygen into our blood and waste, carbon dioxide, out of our blood. We're going to breathe in deeply, and we're going to receive blessing from God as we figure out Sabbath, and we're going to uh, declutter and detoxify and de-stress as we find margin. So that's the goal that we have. I started a couple of weeks ago uh, with this quote. This was from Dallas Willard. He said this. He said, our soul is like an inner stream of water which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other element of our life. When the stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all that we do because our soul itself is rooted in the vastness of God. So, what we're trying to do is recognize that Sabbath is about soul shaping. It's shaping who we are, and this is vital because the soul gives strength and direction and harmony to everything else we do. So if our souls are not in balance, then everything else will be out of balance. When the soul is as it should be, then we are refreshed. We're breathing deeply. We have life. We're alive. If our soul is in balance, we have life, and that brings life to everything we do. It brings life to our marriages. It brings life to our families. It brings life to our work. It brings life to our leisure. If we live together as a community whose souls are in balance, then this brings life to our relationships. It brings life to our neighborhoods. It brings life to our cities. Souls in balance result in justice and peace and flourishing for the whole world. That's what's at stake with this understanding Sabbath with finding margin. Souls in balance restore balance. That's what I want to focus on for the next few minutes. And we're going to do this by looking at the one who claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath, and that's Jesus. And we're going to listen to a description now about what happened at the very beginning of his ministry, and I want you to listen in particular for the goal that he set for this ministry that he was about to embark on, okay? So this is, Jesus, this is about Jesus, and it's in Luke chapter 4 if you want to follow along or look it up. Luke 4 describes this beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is right after the temptation in the wilderness. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began saying to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now this is the first recorded sermon of Jesus. 
And his main point is this. Jesus says, I'm the Sabbath. And he quotes from this passage in Isaiah 61 to identify the goal of his ministry to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, since he's reading out of Isaiah, this is a very specific promise he's making, a proclamation, and it's not about a single Sabbath. It's not about that once-a-week day of rest, and it's not even about a month of Sabbaths. It's about a year of restoring balance. Now, this is how it worked for God's people. They had a rhythm in their life so that every week, once every seven days, they ceased all labor. That was their normal rhythm, and they called that the Sabbath. And then they were also supposed to have a rhythm that involved stopping once every seven years. They would stop, and this was called a sabbatical year. And during the sabbatical year, they wouldn't work the land. The land would lie fallow, which means the land got to rest. So once every week, everyone rested from their labors. Once every seven years, the land got to rest from its labors. And then after seven cycles of seven sabbatical years, there was a year that was called the year of Jubilee. And this is what was supposed to happen on the year of Jubilee. On that year, all debts were canceled. All slaves were set free. All property goes back to its original owner so that if your family had suffered some kind of tragedy and had lost the family farm sometime in the last 49 years, on the year of Jubilee, they got it back. The year of Jubilee was the year of ultimate restoration. Everything that was out of balance was supposed to be set right on the year of Jubilee. You know what another name for the year of Jubilee is? the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus comes to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that everything is going to be restored one day, that everything is going to be set right. Jesus said, I'm coming to restore all things, bringing good news to the poor, freedom to the captive, sight to the blind, deliverance for the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And from this day forward, Jesus actively engages with his ministry this vision, this promise, so that we see that he's healing the sick, he's casting out demons, he's feeding the hungry, the blind can see, the lame can dance, those who have never spoken a word can sing a song because Jesus is restoring what's out of balance. He's restoring the world to God's original design. He's bringing refreshment to souls. He's putting souls in balance. This is what the Sabbath is supposed to do. That's the potential of margin. If we figure out a rhythm that allows for margin, for Sabbath. Okay, so now I'm going to make three guesses. And my first guess is this. I'm going to guess that every one of you here thinks that restoration of God's original plan is a really good idea. Doesn't it sound great if we lived in a world where everything that was broken was fixed? If everything that was wrong was set right? Wouldn't that be great? Am I guessing correctly? You all think that's a great idea? 
Okay, that's my first guess. My second guess, and and this is actually a little bit more of an educated guess because I received a bunch of feedback after last Sunday's introduction to this topic, and my guess is that many of us lack margin and balance, that we actually don't have this thing figured out yet. And I'm guessing this because I see in my life and in the lives of people around me uh, excessive overload, overloads of stress and debt and anxiety and busyness. Some of us have all of these things, too much of everything that burdens us, that weighs us down. And that's our condition, and the symptom comes out in this. It comes out with things like fatigue and irritability, headaches, heartburn, back pain. We don't feel refreshed. We don't feel like life is exuberant. And the prescription for this condition is Sabbath. Sabbath balance. And if we follow this prescription, then the prognosis is life and flourishing. The setting right of everything that is wrong. That's the prognosis. Okay, so am I right that many of us don't have margin or don't have enough margin or don't have a proper rhythm? Some of you are brave enough to nod, so you're admitting it. Okay. Third guess, maybe this one is actually more of a fear than a guess, and that's that even though we recognize the beauty of this potential and we recognize that we don't have it, we're not going to go get, we're not going to make a change to go get it either. That we're not going to go change anything to establish margin, to celebrate Sabbath. Now, this is just based on one lengthy conversation I had with somebody last week, and it was a person who talked to me about the constant pressure and activity that is in their life. Now, this was a young man, a husband with young children, with a full-time job, trying to make ends meet. He's working to nurture his children and spend time with his children. He's working to strengthen his marriage, and he feels overwhelmed because he's got so much to do. There's no margin. He's gone 24-7. And so I asked him, what can you change so that you can find margin? One thing you could change to find margin. You know what he said to me? Nothing. He couldn't think of a thing he could change. And so I realized while talking with him that our call for margin might be a really tough call. And I want to... I guess, kind of truth in advertising, that restoring Sabbath is a really big thing. It's really important. That's why we're spending all summer on it. The ultimate goal is to do what the Bible invites us to do, which is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a day set aside. That's what the biblical vision for Sabbath is which is a very different kind of vision. The ultimate goal is to make one day out of every seven days a stop day, a day when we cease from our normal striving, cease from our normal labor, 
our normal stress, our normal anxiety. The Sabbath is supposed to experience this every single week so that we start to establish a rhythm on this day or on the Sabbath, whatever day that's going to become, very different from the other six days of the week. That's the biblical vision for Sabbath. A Sabbath experience is so essential because it also then starts to shape everything else we do all week long. This is what the Bible describes as Sabbath, and I recognize this is huge, and so maybe it's good that we're going to have a bunch of weeks to work on this. And I'm going to suggest baby steps to, to move us toward that huge vision of Sabbath, okay? So here's the first baby step. Name the truth that 24-7 does not work, okay? The first thing we have to do is just admit that the pace that says, I can continue to go 24-7 all week long, week after week, month after month, year after year, that that could work to bring life and flourishing, we have to be honest and say, that doesn't work. Can we admit that 24-7 is not sustainable? That 24-7 tells us that we never need to stop, and the truth is we do need to stop. So if you're willing to take this little baby step, I'd just like to invite you to turn to your neighbor right now and tell them that 24-7 does not work. Okay. Now I notice when you told your neighbor 24-7 doesn't work, some of them shook their heads like they're, they don't believe you. I think we need to keep reminding ourselves of this truth. 24-7 does not work. Second baby step. Admit the need. Admit that I need a stop day. Admit that I need to change my rhythms. Admit that I need margin. Can you admit that? Can I admit that? We need something more like 24-6. We need one day every week that's a completely different rhythm than every other day. We need balance. And this quest for margin is not ultimately about finding just little spaces here and there for white space and margin. That might come as we figure out this rhythm. But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal of this entire series that we're working on right now is that we find a day every week when we can cease from our labors. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall do all your work, but the seventh is the Lord's day. Can we admit our need that we need a stop day? Okay, so this is baby step number two. Maybe you're not ready for this. But if you are, I'd like you to turn to your neighbor and say, I need a stop day. Okay, this is good. You guys, I'm feeling the progress we're all making. This is good. I need a stop day. So in the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to dig much deeper into what does it look like on that stop day? What are the kind of things that happen when we cease from our normal rhythm and our normal labor. So we're going to get to that, but uh, that's a big thing. We're going to keep working on it. I'm going to give you a couple more uh, baby steps. First of all, baby steps three and four. Can you name a stop day? Can you name the day you're going to shoot for? Now, there's lots of theories about this, and you know the Hebrew people had the last day of the week. Saturday was their Sabbath. Since the resurrection, Christians have usually said, we go to the first day of the week, it's the Lord's Day, and we make that our Sabbath. 
I'm not going to be hung up on the rule of saying what day it has to be. And there's extenuating circumstances for many people that don't allow them to do a, a Saturday Sabbath or a Sunday Sabbath. But you need to name a day. And traditionally, the Sabbath stop day goes from sundown one day till sundown the next day. That's how they measure it. So it's a complete 24-hour period. Can you name a stop day? And then baby step number four, can you name one change you could make on that day to make it more Sabbathy, to make it more restful, to give more margin? And so that might mean naming one thing you're going to stop doing on your Sabbath. One day that's part of your normal work, part of your normal striving, part of your normal effort, part of your normal stress. Can you name one thing on your Sabbath day that you're going to stop? That's all I'm asking for today. Name the day and one thing you're going to stop, or maybe one thing you're going to start. Maybe there's something that you could start doing on your Sabbath that will give more refreshment, more life, more margin to you, okay? Baby steps three and four. Name the day and name something to stop or something to start that will make that day more Sabbathy for you. Okay? Now, living out Sabbath margin can easily slip into legalistic rule keeping. And I'm going to probably bring this up repeatedly because part of my background is to have Sabbath days that were very rule oriented and they weren't very joyful or pleasant or happy always. Creating too many rules backfires because it actually creates greater burden and greater stress because we're trying to keep this rule. We've got to keep track of what we're supposed to do or not do. So instead of bringing balance, it brings greater imbalance. So we want to watch out for Sabbath rule-keeping that becomes too much pressure. And Jesus actually addressed this quite a bit in his teaching. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, often got into discussion with Sabbath rule-keepers And many of his miraculous deeds of restoration were actually performed on the Sabbath to actually gig the Sabbath rule keepers and show them what Sabbath really meant. It really messed with them. I'm going to share one of those stories. Uh, Miraculous Sabbath day restoration described in Mark 3. Listen to what happens on this Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of the Sabbath rule keepers were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath. Now, many of us have read passages like this a lot, and maybe this doesn't sound pretty uh, so ridiculous, but when you really look at the context of the passage, this is a ridiculous thing. These Sabbath rule keepers are watching Jesus to see if he's going to do a good deed on the Sabbath. And if he does a good deed on the Sabbath, they're going to accuse him of breaking the law. Does that sound ridiculous to anybody else? So that's what's happening here. So Jesus knows this is going on. And so verse 3, he says to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up here in front of everybody. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill it? Good question. Seems like a fairly simple question. What's lawful for us to do good things or bad things? To kill somebody or not kill somebody, to spare life? What, what would you say? What would you say to that? Yeah, do good things. Okay, you already got a good Sabbath mindset going. 
But the Sabbath rule keepers remained silent. They didn't answer Jesus because they didn't know how. So Jesus looked around at them, and he was angry and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And so he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Jesus healed him. And the rule keepers went out and began to plot how they could kill Jesus. The Sabbath rule keepers missed the point of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath is to do greater good, to bring greater restoration, to bring greater balance. That's the point of the Sabbath. And if we get the Sabbath rhythm figured out, then that begins to bleed out into Monday through Saturday. It bleeds out to the rest of our week so that we become a people who are used to bringing greater good and greater restoration and greater peace to the world. That's the whole goal of the Sabbath. One more story, this one from Luke 13. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. This woman is in pain. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and he said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Remember what Jesus said he came to do? Set people free to restore balance. And he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. And the Sabbath rule keepers were indignant because Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath. And the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so go be healed on one of those days. And of course, Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, answered them and said, you hypocrites, don't you, each of you on the Sabbath, untie your donkey or your ox from the stall and lead them to water and feed them? Should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, shouldn't she be set free on the Sabbath? This is our picture of the Sabbath. If we figure out Sabbath rhythms, Sabbath balance, and margin, it sets us free, and it has the potential to set the whole world free too. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for pouring out your Holy Spirit on us and helping us to appreciate the truth of your word. And God, now we ask that your spirit would come and help us to continue to apply this word. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.